Welcome to The Chris Rawl Show, where I am pleased and honored to be here on this very fine Tuesday. Football is underway, which I'm going to talk about in a manner that is probably half hopeful and half super depressing, depending upon what side of the spectrum you are on. Um, but I'm super pumped that football is back, even though my team is already out and just floating in outer space. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, if you have not subscribed to my newsletter, you need to do that. It is easy. You go to chrisrawl.com, you click on the subscribe button, you put your email address in, and every Wednesday morning you will get some sort of email from yours truly. This week it will probably be about Nebraska, as this show is going to be about, which again, I hope is not going to be super depressing because I have a lot of thoughts on A, their loss to Northwestern over the weekend, and be just the last 20 years, both past and future. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack, but we'll get to that on the other side. So let's get started. Now, close your eyes. The most affecting piece of content that I have consumed this year is a 15-minute audio file on Spotify. I'd love it is catalog of unabashed gratitude. I actually mentioned it in a newsletter about a month ago. I told everybody to go and listen to it. If you have not yet listened to it, you need to go and do so. Uh, it is a truly incredible creation. It's actually a poem written by the poet Ross Gay. He reads it throughout this 15-minute uh, file. It's pieced together with music from Bon Iver, who is one of my favorite contemporary musicians. He's awesome every way and he is the perfect person to create strange eerie ghost-like music that always makes you feel that can be superimposed over a really incredible high-level poem so these two collaborate bon Iver puts the music together ross gay who wrote, wrote this poem i don't know six or so years ago uh they collaborate they put it together and out of the blue this comes across my spotify discover weekly i'm here in the office just working, have my speaker on, and this comes on, and I'm not fully paying attention, and then Roske starts talking. I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird. What's going on here? Then it's going on for 30 more seconds. I'm like, what is this? You know, he's talking about some little bird, but it's in the language of a poet. So now I'm my ears have perked up, and I'm going, what is this, you know? So I kind of stop what I'm doing, and then I'm looking at my phone. I realize it's a 15-minute file. I see Bone of Airs on it, and I'm going, okay. And a minute later, I'm just kind of enthralled. I'm entranced. So I'd stop everything I'm doing. I just sit, I listen, gets to the end. And it completely changed the emotional composition of my entire day. I don't say that lightly or as hyperbole. Not that I was sitting there sad or depressed. I was just sitting there working, not thinking about anything except what I was doing. And I listened to this catalog of unabashed gratitude, this 15 minute love letter to just kind of life, you know? Something that, you know, as a listener of this show, I, I really like. And I, I try to go out of my way to point things out within the world of sports or within my life and go, ooh, I, I'm really pleased that this is a part of it. And so I, I listen to all of it and I go, oh, this is just, this is amazing. This is, this is everything that I want to hear from somebody else. And it also helps to refine and reshape the way that I am going about my day to day and moving forward. Just, hey, be aware. If you're willing to look and notice, this is what exists, and it's really cool to be a part of. So this morning, I actually, every so often, ever since I, I came across this poem, which again, was not that long ago, it was probably 
maybe a month, maybe a little over a month ago. Every so often, I just kind of incorporate it into my routine, my morning routine, which is I go to my office, it's early morning, go out on the patio because it's still summer and it's gorgeous in the morning. The sun usually still hasn't come up and I can just look out on the eastern mountains here in Utah Valley, kind of watch the sunrise, right? Um, cup of coffee, an RX bar that I cut up into slices because I'm a, a weirdo and probably a future serial killer. Eat a banana. It's a, it's a great tradition. We'll widely admit this. Everybody should do it. So this morning I go out there and for whatever reason, I'm going, ah, you know, I'm just going to, I'll stare at the mountains. I'll eat my breakfast, drink my coffee. want to listen to this poem because again, it just, it refines what I want to be and how I want to think every time I listen to it. So this morning it was just, it was more of that. Sitting, I'm listening. The sun's kind of blocked out by the mountain, but it's within 30 minutes it's coming out. So you can get those first kind of rays that are shooting out. And the way that my office faces or the patio at my office faces, those rays, the angle of them will change as to what they're hitting. So sometimes it's the peak of this mountain. Sometimes it's these trees. Sometimes it's just shooting into the sky. And you can see the shafts of the sun just against the backdrop of the sky or the clouds. It's really, really incredible. And again, it's another one of those things that I like doing in the morning because it just hammers home like, all right, you know, whatever's going on, this is pretty damn cool. You know, regardless of <laughs> whatever your day holds, you go and piss your pants on the golf course, you know, things don't go your way at work, your bets don't go your way, your team loses, as I'll get into. I love it as a morning kind of tradition. And especially when in conjunction with this poem, because it represents what I want to be and how I want to think. Whether times are good, whether times are bad, if you're willing to look and notice there's always things to celebrate, right? So another great poet, my favorite, Liza Mueller. She was writing about hope. She wrote that hope is the singular gift we cannot destroy in ourselves. It's a great line. I believe it firmly. You do not have hope. You are probably dead. Not probably. I think you actually are dead. Uh, I kind of think it's impossible to exist and be alive as a human being and not in some way, shape, or form always have hope bubbling up in some way, no matter what is thrown at you. And there are a lot of things that can come your way, but I think a really cool thread of being a human being on planet Earth is that no matter what happens in any facet, there are always reasons if you want to grasp and find them, or sometimes even if you don't, to feel hope. Because it's that gift that is just, it's not destroyable. You know, I don't know why, <laughs> but I agree with Liza Mueller because in my own life, no matter what has happened, uh, I'll get through something or be in the midst of something. And, and I'll always have a moment like the sitting outside in the office or just a lot of smaller stuff, maybe sometimes big, but for the most part, it's it's exactly what's talked about in Roske's poem. He lists for 15 minutes, thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. Most of them just kind of you would never really think about. But as they pile up and as he gets to the end and he's talking, you just feel that overwhelming sense of, A, his gratitude, B, your gratitude, and C, oh, I will always be able to have things like this in my life. That's a really hopeful thought. One of those things for me is the start of every football season. I love it. It is it's something I've always felt at the end of August, just this washing over of ecstasy, adrenaline, hope, all of the positive things. Uh, this uh, last Saturday morning, week zero, 
had all my bets out. And so then I was going through the app that I track them with and just looking at my betting card for the day. And these games are pure shit. You know, if you watch them, I mean, we're talking FAU Charlotte, we're talking Nebraska Northwestern and Nevada, New Mexico State, Vanderbilt, Hawaii. I could keep going on of these bets that I had. I mean, I was betting Austin P against Western Kentucky. I was betting Florida State against Duchesne. I mean, Florida A&M against North Carolina. None of these games are good football games. And yet I truly, as I'm thumbing through and I'm looking at totals and spreads and potential player props and what I've already bet and what I could potentially bet and I'm getting that live betting feeling as soon as the games start, I mean, it's a true adrenaline rush, which is kind of incredible when you, when you think about what was going on on Saturday, almost more mundane than thinking about, oh, that was cool to watch a sunrise or that was cool to just, you know, sit and listen to this poem. Thinking of sitting and trying to live bet a Florida State Duchesne game. I mean, that's about as benign as it's going to get. And I truly was ecstatic going in, ready for this experience. And, and from the betting side of things, I mean, it lived up to the billing. Now, the one thing that stuck out like a store thumb on Saturday, and the thing that I want to talk about, because it's a really complex, uh, complex examination of being a fan. I'm constantly kind of like, flabbergasted by just the things that arise in me that sometimes are contrary to how they arise in every other facet or just this continual way that I'll go into every football season and despite every shred of evidence and all signs of the past 20 plus years I go oh yeah I'm willing to bet Nebraska's win total over seven and a half and there's a lot of reasons why I think that they could be reasonable this season and yeah, they're playing Northwestern. They're, you know, 10 and a half, 11 and a half, 12 and a half point favorites, depending where you got them at. And okay, you get a nice springboard win here. And who knows what the season can hold. The schedule's favorable. And then the season starts and Nebraska's up 11 and you're going, all right, sweet. We're going to win running away. Here we go. Finally, you know, this hope that cannot be destroyed. It's now going to be manifested in a smaller way. They're not going to be winning the big 10 or they're not going to be playing for national title, but Again, it's baby steps at this point. I'm going, can they win eight games? That'd be, a, I'd be ecstatic if they could go eight and four. And then they're trying to onside kick up 11 midway through the third. You don't know why. And then Northwestern scoring and getting the momentum and scoring. And then Nebraska can't do anything. And Nebraska's losing and you're going, oh, okay. I think I've been here before. That was the overwhelming feeling for me at about 1.30 Rocky Mountain time on Saturday. So Nebraska loses to Northwestern. We all know this. Three-point loss. Another tragic one-possession game. A lot of things went against Nebraska that if you change one, <laughs> they would have won. That's the story of this team, especially under Scott Frost, but it's been the story of the team for over two decades. And I want to start by reading something that came from the postgame because I think it's a, it's a good place to start as I talk about hope and belief in being a fan and just the really strange mix of all those things and how against kind of your best wishes they somehow manage to continue to bubble up uh, this comes from Mitch Sherman of the athletic sometimes in sports when a group of people repeats a singular talking point I wonder who they're trying to convince the audience or themselves that's Nebraska in recent weeks with all the talk about how close they've grown as a team a moment struck me Saturday after the Huskers seventh consecutive loss as defensive captain Garrett Nelson preach the importance of strong leadership, togetherness, and positivity. He's right, of course. As a leader, Nelson said it's his job to keep everybody's heads up and remind the Huskers of what type of a team we are and how close we are. Sitting to Nelson's right, quarterback Casey Thompson interrupted. 
We're going to be fine, Thompson said, appearing to address Nelson more than the assembled reporters in front of them. Does Thompson believe it, or does he just badly want to believe it? End quote. It's a very important distinction between the two things in that last sentence that I do think about a lot. You know, true actual belief that is positive for your own growth and development and understanding that it's in your best interest to believe in this certain thing and you need it to be true in order to grow and be better, but you're kind of manufacturing and you're trying to convince yourself that this is true when deep down you know, uh, I, I probably don't fully believe in this thing. I, I fight that battle all the time in golf. There's at least one time a year that lasts, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks, a month, where I'll go in a huge slump for reasons unknown. That's just the way the game works. And that long of a time when you're playing every day, it seems like a millennium. Just you're battling this and you're battling that. And it's impossible to not have the mental composition of your game change when you're in a rut. And the rest of the year, I'm always focused and I'm always into this. Just, no, 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 believe, believe, believe. And I truly do. Your short game is good. You're great from 150 in. You possess the skills that you need to stay afloat and shoot good scores. Even when things start to go off the rails, you always can sit there and I go, no, you know, I know I have the mental fortitude and the physical ability and just weather this storm. Golf, golf will always have moments like this. You just, you weather it and you'll get to the end. You'll be fine. And I do a lot of the times, but within a rut, there becomes a separation between that belief and just, I know I need to believe, but I can't actually manifest it. And so I'll be in the midst of bad score, bad score, bad score, and it's piling up and it's been a week straight and that I'll take a day off and I'll go, okay, I have to come back and I have to be focused and I have to truly believe that I'm going to play well. And even if I don't, that's fine. I'll come back the next day and I'll play it well. It's just, this will not last. And when the rut is over, that will happen. And a lot of times it's just, I, I think that true belief is there and I go, I'm ready to go. And, and I'll be two under through three holes and then I'll get to the fourth and I'm going, all right, smooth sailing. You know, I'm going to shoot under par today and this will break the curse and I'll be ready to go. And this is great. And then I'll flare one out into the pond on the fourth hole and take a drop and not get up and down. And I'll be walking up with a double and the early two shots I garnered on the first three holes are gone. Now I'm even through four, which in a time when I'm focused and I truly do believe, I go, that's fine. You're under, you're even through four. doesn't matter. You know, you got to play 14 more holes. There's a lot. It's going to go into this round. There's a lot of time to do good things and bad things. If you trust in yourself, you'll do more good things than bad things. Your score will reflect that. When I'm actually in a rut, instead of thinking that through logically and understanding and believing it, when I walk off and I'm even part through four, I, the number one thought that will always come out, no matter what I try in my mind and what I try with my emotions is, here we go again. Here we go again. And I know that is a mental trigger that if that is allowed to come in when I'm playing golf, that I'm deader than dead on the golf course. And that'll happen during these ruts, you know, and, and then they'll go away and my, I'll be back in control of my mental game and I'll be back in control of that belief portion and trust and all that kind of stuff. And I'll feel good about life. And, oh, this is weird. It's weird that I can somehow fight this battle in my own mind over and over and over. And more times than not now, I, I pride myself on being able to win that in golf. But still, despite my best efforts, there's going to be stretches where I can't win. And the first thought that always comes out rather than chill out, 
you got you got this. You're fine. The thought that bubbles up is here we go again. And I think that's really symbolic of Nebraska football and being a Nebraska fan. And, and I can't say that as a fan, I can will this team to be good and go, I just need to believe more because there's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that points to you really shouldn't believe in this team. Despite the fact that I said on last show, I bet their win total over seven and a half, which I did because I'm a dipshit. I'm just dumb as hell. I don't know what else to tell you there. But for the people involved themselves, this is something that I really see and feel as I watch them. That clear delineation, a team that does not believe, a team that knows it needs to believe in direction, in vision, in ability, in training, and all the stuff that you need in order to grow and progress. And they say the words and it never matches up with what happens in reality. Um, And, you know, as we transition into heavier talk about Nebraska and just kind of that belief, that hope, that way being a fan can just kind of vacillate between extreme ends of both of those things. And also as another confirmation that I truly am dumb as hell and a complete dipshit. I will say right now on record, I have never been more wrong about something than Scott Frost as Nebraska's head coach. Never, never, never. I'm talking about true belief in something, not like, okay, I think this person's going to be good and this or that. I have a lot of things that I think because I follow sports so closely, there's very rarely hills that I go onto and I go, no, this is a thing that I know for a fact is going to happen. Him coming to Nebraska, it was the mark of before and after, you know, the before was 20 years in the wilderness. The after was going to be Scott Frost bringing Nebraska back to, at the very least, a really respectable football program. We're five years in. And again, I've never been more wrong about something that I truly did believe. He's 15 and 30 overall into his fifth season. He is five and 21 in one score games. That is a stat that I actually cannot wrap my head around. You remember on last, I believe it was last Friday show. I talked about a Bill Barnwell article and one score games and regression to the mean and all the nerdy ass mathematical stuff that I like. And one score games are one of those things you just expect over the course of time. You're like, you know what? If you're good enough to be in one score games continually, sometimes they'll go your way. Sometimes they won't because football is a game of, of fickleness and, and margins. And so you just expect to kind of be 50% over the long, uh, long haul and to have 26 games that have already occurred that are one score games and to have only won five of them. I mean, he's winning one for every four that Nebraska loses. You think of those as 50-50 propositions, that is an incredible mathematical anomaly. And yet here we are uh, after another one on Saturday against Northwestern. It's just a chain of events that it's not even as depressing as it is almost like a, like a scientific marvel, I would kind of categorize it as. Where even as I'm watching it, I'm frustrated and angry because, again, I have financial incentives writing and there's that emotional tie that I have. But more than that, I'm just looking at it and going, how in the hell does Nebraska keep doing this? They lose these close games. They find a new way to lose it every single time. Yet at the end of the game, it's the same story. It's the opposition saying what all of Northwestern's coaches and players were saying, which was just like, well, we knew if you get Nebraska into the fourth quarter and it's close, they'll wilt and, and we'll just win. And that's true. That actually is true. You can't put your finger on it and define why that is because, again, it's different every single time. It's not, oh, Nebraska, they just do this one thing. They can't stop the run when it matters or they, 
you know, their quarterback does this. It's different every single time. And yet over the course of this entire coaching tenure, now into the fifth year, it somehow keeps happening. It is a true scientific marvel, even though it's depressing as hell if you're a Nebraska fan. After the game, I see a stat from Big Ten Network from their stats and information unit. Nebraska is the first team in the history of major college football to lose seven straight games with all seven losses coming by a single digit margin. Again, we're talking about historical and mathematical anomalies. And I watched him and I go, I think there are reasons you could find hope and think that this team is good. Again, I bet the win total over at the start of this year because I am a dipshit, but there was actual mathematical reasons to do that. And then I watch another game and I go, there is something so strange that is happening here and so broken. And you just have to trust that that is what it is. There's too much evidence that's piled up. I mean, against a Northwestern team that was just anemic on offense last year, they averaged 16 points a game. They pretty much double that up. They score 31. The crazier part was just the yardage total. Northwestern gains 528 yards against Nebraska. That's their second time in the last 55 games that they have gained over 500 yards. Again, mathematical anomalies. You know Northwestern. It's a team that wants to run halfback isos and fullback dives into the line three times and punt and play field position over and over. That's the way Pat Fitzgerald coaches. That's the way he wants his team to play. He tried to do that in that game. There were multiple times when he could have stepped on Nebraska's throat in that game, and instead he was content to run draws on third and 10 and third and eight and try and attempt field goals that they end up missing and then punt and do all these things that we know conservative coaches love to do like Pat Fitzgerald, and it still wasn't enough to extend a branch to Nebraska back into this game because there's something about this team that exists that you can't put your finger on, but you've watched it happen so many times that you know that it is true. Now, I'm not alone with the Scott Frost thing. If you go back to when he was hired, it was universal. I mean, it was universal. You go back, I've done this. You go back and look at coaching grades, you know, that every major media outlet will do over the offseason after the college football coaching carousel is finished. Every single one without fail, every single one, it was A+, plus. it was A+, plus. it was A+, plus. it was A+. Plus. You could not have had a more picture-perfect fit. You could not have had a more hopeful injection as far as the prime coaching candidate to the perfect place. This comes from Bill Conley. He wrote a big article about Nebraska over this uh, weekend because, I mean, it's the thing you should be writing about because it's just, it's unfathomable and weird and, and all the things that I'm talking about. This is about Scott Frost. With his almost impossible 5-21 and 21 record in one-score games and his equally unfathomable 15-30 and 30 record overall, it's easy to forget that just four years ago, Frost was seen as just about the most slam-dunk hire imaginable. He was the quarterback for Nebraska's last national title winner. He played for Bill Walsh, Tom Osborne, and Bill Parcells. He coached with Chip Kelly. He inherited an 0-12 team at UCF and improved it to 6-7 and 7 in his first year and 13-0 and in his second It was like he was custom-made in a laboratory to return Nebraska to glory. This wasn't a reactionary hire. It was the perfect hire at the perfect time. And it hasn't even slightly worked out, end quote. So now it's kind of, this is where things start to get really complex. And I kind of reflect back upon the last five years. And I kind of identify within myself this battle of like, you truly did believe, and at the same time, I also understood, even if I didn't want to fully confront it, that I really badly needed to believe because this was the last gasp effort. And I actually wrote this. I actually put this into writing uh, the offseason that Scott Frost was hired. 
the essay that I wrote about college football, the essay that has been republished as a podcast on this feed that's titled Falling Out the Other Side. There's a snippet of it within that that I just kind of wanted to revisit because I was like, what was I even, what was going on then? And I read it after the game and I was just like, oh, this is kind of intense to read right now because I identified what was going on at the time. I was filled with as much hope as I possibly could have been. I was so ecstatic, but I also understood the stakes. This is what I wrote. It has been almost 20 years since Nebraska was a nationally relevant college football program. Scott Frost has returned home and many people, myself included, believe he's the one to resurrect Nebraska from the dead. Maybe I have to believe this because the alternative is too depressing to confront. That I'm doomed to chase sparks from the past in spite of an open future. There's a lot of reading that Garrett Nelson, Casey Thompson exchange from Mitch Sherman. There's a lot of that within uh, my, my prior self that now I'm on the flip side of that and I'm confronting the alternative, which I assure you is incredibly depressing. That's just like, well, what, what now essentially, you know, when you believe in something strongly and it proves itself to not be up to that standard, the question is always what now that's a really intense and foundational question in life that a lot of people struggle with daily and throughout their entire lives. Just, you believe strongly in people or institutions or just personal principles. And sometimes those fail you or don't match up to your belief. And when that happens, what do you do then? The really intense piece of human life. So it's less intense in a football sense because football is a game, but it's also something that I'm really emotionally tied into. And so confronting the future of the Nebraska program is quite intense because now I go, this is not the answer. This is this is far from the answer. And when you get to that point, you go, okay, well, what is? I want to read something else from Bill Conley. Nebraska has attempted many resets and fresh starts since the retirement of the legendary Tom Osborne. But it has lacked a cogent plan. It has been torn between the distinct style of its past winners and the modern style of the day. And it has lots of former players hovering around and pointing out everything it is doing wrong at all times. When one coach doesn't work out, the Huskers attempt the exact opposite. When that doesn't work, they careen to something else. They are case studies for how to lose your way. End quote. So Tom Osborne retired after the 97 season. Frank Solich was fired in 2003, after the 2003 season, which really sent Nebraska into the wilderness. And what's weird is I trace kind of this I don't want to call it a progression. We'll call it an arc. Actually, it's not an arc because there's never been a peak. It's just a line, flat line that is slowly trending downwards. But as I trace that, because I've, I've lived all this and I follow it really closely. I'm emotionally invested. I've been financially invested at certain times because I am a dipshit. Again, I need to say that so many times. But Bill Callahan's hired after Solch is fired. And I wasn't, I wasn't into the Solch firing. I mean, Nebraska had gone 10 and three. The thing that now everybody points back and laughs at is like, they're talking about the administration at the time. They're going, 10 and 3 is not acceptable in Nebraska. We have high standards. I mean, we're five years removed from national titles, and we're two years removed from playing for the national title. We're just, we have a standard. We're in Nebraska. We know we'll, we'll always be this great team. 10 and 3 is not good enough. So Solich has got to go. They bring in Bill Callahan, which was kind of shocking. And like, there was a small part of me that was hopeful because I also foolishly now in retrospect believe that well, yeah, Nebraska just kind of has to tweak a couple things and they'll be right back to being a national title contender. 
this was a huge overhaul because now you're bringing in a purely NFL coach, West Coast offense, completely diametric opposite of this triple option offense that Nebraska had ridden to national titles starting back in 1970, all the way through 97 with Osborne's retirement. You had 30 years of sustained success, and a lot of it was traced through this offensive system. So now Nebraska's doing something different. But hey, it's also modernization. It's 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 becoming a part of the times. A thing that you you know, I think a lot of people agree, and I agree in a lot of areas. You have to adapt and you have to be malleable. You have to understand what works in present day and try to incorporate some of that in. You can't just be stuck in the past. Now, this it's easy to forget because it ended so disastrously in 2007. I mean, Nebraska that year, they were just, it was, it was the bottom falling out in every way. I mean, they gave up 76 points in a game to Kansas in 2007, the Kansas Jayhawks. Granted, that was a better, probably the best Kansas team of the last ever. At the same time, this was a team that was Nebraska's punching bag for all of time, and they were dropping 76 against Nebraska. And you knew Callahan was out the door, but even still, the couple years prior, I mean, Nebraska, they make the Big 12 title game in 2006. Zach Taylor, who's now the coach of the Bengals, he's winning Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year, really good quarterback. Calham was recruiting well, better than they'd been recruiting in the past. So it was like, okay, cool. We can infuse new talent, this newish system. All right, we're starting to see it work. And then 2007, it just, everything goes to hell. And you see that swerve that Bill Conley was talking about. And, but it's an infusion of hope, you know? It's like, okay, that Callahan thing, that was atrocious. But now we're going to hire the up-and-coming coordinator. Nebraska's defense bottomed out in 2007. They're giving up 76 to Kansas. They're giving up as many points as they can give up to everybody. Up-and-coming coordinator, Bo Pelini. Great success at Nebraska as a defensive coordinator in the past. Went and won a national title with LSU. Yes, let's take the hot candidate, the up-and-comer, the the riser. And he wasn't as, you know, he wasn't that bad by standards of present-day Nebraska. He's winning 10 or 9 games every year. His problem was he would lose 4 games every single season that he coached there. They would get blown out. Just, I mean, blown the hell out. In all of their losses, they'd lose by 20, they'd lose by 30, they'd lose by 40. They were just not competitive in their losses. Then he's gone, and he's crusty, and he's mad, and he's screaming on the sidelines, and let's just do the exact opposite. Let's go and hire Mike Riley, who is a career college coach, essentially, at Oregon State, who's one of the nicest guys, who has had no success for a very long time, but he's nice. He's not going to be crusty as hell like Bo Pelini. That was the hire where I'm just like, I don't, there's literally no hope in this hire. I will 100% guarantee. I was just as convinced of that hire that would be bad as I was convinced that Frost would be good. On that one, I was right. I'm just like, there's no reason to believe this will succeed. This guy's old. I don't understand what he brings to the table. We now know he didn't bring anything to the table. They were just a tire fire. He was fired and it set the table for what I thought was the slam dunk, the home run, all the stuff that Bill Conley was talking about. Just the perfect clicking into place of the puzzle piece we've been missing. The the golden boy from Nebraska's past melded with all the present of football, whether that was, you know, Bill Walsh or Parcells or Osborne, then transferred in with Chip Kelly. Now this modernization of past principles, present principles, that is what the future should be, a, a good combination of those things. That's what it was supposed to be with Nebraska. Well, 20 years have passed now. It's 2022, okay? Um, questions remain the same, the exact same, you know, if you're willing to confront what is there to believe in with this program, uh, what is the trajectory moving forward? You go, well, there's no physicality along the lines. Let's start there. That was the key to Nebraska's past. It's not the sexiest thing to talk about 
building up your offensive and defensive lines. It's the key to winning at football. <laughs> it just is. You look at every good team and that's where it begins. That's how Nebraska won for a really long time. Uh, that's where they have just lost themselves completely. You saw that in the Northwestern game. I mean, they're getting just their asses pushed around by Northwestern. Talking about a bunch of people who are going to be accountants and sports writers. It's about as nerdy of an universities you're going to find and they're physically manhandling Nebraska, which mirrors what we watch for a very long time. We see them lose in the same manner and you're going, how is it possible to continue losing games in this manner? And I go, I don't know, but it somehow is because we have so much evidence that it is there. The part that is intense and the parts that is significantly less hopeful and the part that I really kind of battle within myself once the season begins. I spoke on Friday's show about just like, it's funny that I kind of feel hopeful about this year because there's no reason if I'm being logical to feel that way. Now it's the very next show. One game has passed and I'm like, yeah, there's not really a reason to feel this way. There's a lot of reasons to feel this way in life. You know, that was the first 10 minutes of the show. And I actually like respond incredibly well to Nebraska losing present day because it's just, it's a part of existence at this point. You know, back in 2001, when they lose, I'd be comatose for a week. I wouldn't even want to watch football. And now they lose and I, I look at it like a scientific marvel. It's dispassionate. It's like, how in the absolute hell is this happening still? This is so weird. But you look to the future and you go, okay, well, what is a coherent plan for this team, this organization moving forward? I, I literally, I, I'm at a loss. They're obviously at a loss because they've been doing that. But even the one that we all agreed was going to be the one, Scott Frost, we're now back where we started. We're, we're at a loss. This is not the answer. So then you go, okay, well, his buyout, it, it gets cut in half starting October 1st. There's a pretty high probability that he's fired before this season's over. So then you look down the road and you say, well, what's a suitable coaching candidate? And I'm just like, I don't know. We tried the guy from the NFL who would modernize the offense. It was a tire fire. We tried the defensive coordinator who was going to change everything up and comer. That didn't work out. We tried the retread college coach who was nice. That didn't work out. We had the picture perfect fit and that hasn't worked out. What, what works out? You know, what answers the questions that have existed? How do you improve these lines? How do you stop losing these crazy ass games that actually have transcended coaching staffs? I mean, they were doing this under Mike Riley. They've been doing this dating back to Bill Callahan. There were losses that they had. There's a loss against Texas Tech. I remember it vividly. It was in 2006. Nebraska's ready to turn the corner. And I'm just like, this is going to be the moment. It's going to be so rad. And Texas Tech's ranked. Nebraska's hosting them. It's the end of the game and Texas Tech is coming in. They need a touchdown to win. Can't remember how much they were, Nebraska was up by, but they were, they were up by more than a field goal, but less than a touchdown because Texas Tech couldn't kick a field goal to send to overtime. Nebraska intercepts. This is like with less than a minute to go. Texas Tech doesn't have enough timeouts to stop the clock. A dude named Kevin Smith. I actually remember this. This is not based upon notes. I'm now speaking off the cuff and it's just taking me back to a very sad point. But it's kind of funny in a really dark way to realize this because it's the same thing. It's been happening for all of my entire life. It's crazy. A defensive tackle named Kevin Smith, he intercepts off of a deflection, a Texas Tech pass. And all he's got to do is fall down and Nebraska can take a knee and the game is over and they got a great win. And he catches it and tries to run for reasons unknown. And a player on the opposition comes and punches the ball out and Texas Tech recovers and scores a touchdown in the last 10 seconds to win the game. That is insanity. And you'd point at it and you go, oh, well, that's just an anomaly. There's no logical way that those players and this coaching staff and administration, there's literally nobody there in 2006 that is now here. There's no way that they could continue to lose games in these bizarre ways. And yet somehow it is there. Life is filled with unanswerable questions. That is, 
That is true in a lot of ways. I have spoken to that many, many times. It's really hard to know anything for absolute certainty. That's why that belief question is just, it's tricky as hell. And it's kind of unsettling. Because when push comes to shove and you want to believe in something, if you want like true evidence, you know, turn that belief into like, oh, well, there's actual proof of this. It's really hard to ever find that for virtually anything. So as I think about unanswerable questions, you know, my mind's going to go to Nebraska right now. And at the forefront of my mind is just, well, where does Nebraska turn? (laughs) Who the hell knows? You know, what is going to change this team that prevents them from from continuing on the path that they've been stuck on for two plus decades? You know, this rudderless program trying to convince themselves there is hope each and every season and then seeing that hope evaporate after one game. It's happened in week zero the last two years. This year against Northwestern, last year against Illinois. Bam, gone. Snap your fingers, and it's just like, okay, this is a lost season. This year even more so, because I'm just like, well, now we got to wait out this firing and then see who they hire, and then we'll do it all again for five years and probably start back over. <laughs> That's way intense. But there's, there, there's a portion of this that I'm just like, mm, not having hope here is not the end of the world, you know? It's more on me than on Nebraska at this point, if that in kind of a strange way. Because if I look at it logically and apply it in other areas of life, I go, if something has existed in my life for over 20 years and has been this exact way for that entire period of time, I wouldn't ever bat an eye. I wouldn't ever sit there and go, oh, this thing is going to be different. I would just go, oh, this is what you are. You know, I'm not saying that in a rude way. It could be positive. It could be negative. I'm not here to judge. The main point is just if I have two decades of evidence, I would go, oh, yeah, that's what you are. You know, I'll just I'll understand that and proceed with that understanding. Sports are strange and fandom is strange as hell because it's the one area where you can't really do that almost. Even me, a person who thinks about this all the time. And so instead, I get to the start of every season. I go, yeah, this team's going to be dog shit, but but. There is a pathway where that's not true. Then they play Northwestern and I go, you're dumb as hell. You are an absolute dipshit. What are you even thinking? Only in college football, you know, only within this world of fandom where tradition and the past weigh so heavily on the present. Can you have a case like Nebraska's where me and so many other fans are convinced Nebraska is just about to turn the corner and become what they used to be. Just a higher way, just a game away, just this needs to click into place. I mean, we're talking about 25 years ago, okay? We have a lot of time and evidence that is piled up. And now I sit here at the end of the show and I go, well, if you've been something for over 20 years, that's what you are, you know? There's not a lot of reasons to believe otherwise. So then the question goes, all right, growth, improvement, change. How do you get those things? And the answer here, it probably falls in the unanswerable category. It really does. The great open-ended question of life, which in many ways is thrilling and hopeful, honestly. And in this particular case, as I reflect on Nebraska's program, probably neither of those two things, as as I'm being honest. Um, but as I reflect back on Liza Mueller's words and just this, this gift that you cannot destroy within yourself, that's actually really cool. You know, if I'm being positive to end the show, which I try to be. It's really cool that there will be a point down the road where against everything, against every bit of evidence, I'll sit there and there'll be, it'll be a game or it'll be the start of the season. It'll be whatever. 
and I'll be like, okay, this team is going to be bad as hell. But <laughs> that's, just, that's a very interesting observation to make, right? And I think if I extrapolate it out and include all the sports, I really do believe it's one of the incredible gifts of following this thing that like people kind of point at and go, it's just games. That's kind of dumb. What are you doing? I go, ah, I get what you're saying, but in the end, everything's dumb. Everything is kind of a game. If you really, truly think about it on a deep level. And so at that point, you're like, oh, you can learn a lot of things from being a fan. You can explore a lot of things from being a fan that I think hold a lot of value in everyday life. That's pretty cool. You can somehow teach yourself that there's this like never ending bubbling up of hope inside yourself through being a fan. That's pretty damn cool. You know, Ross Gay would agree. Go and listen to that catalog of unabashed gratitude. I promise you it is worth your time. And hopefully it does to you what it did to me, which is just, oh, I think differently. 15 minutes later than I did 15 minutes ago. And I'm really reflecting upon things that exist in life that are worth being hopeful and just savoring, you know? So Nebraska football, it's been that for a long time. It, it, it will continue to be that in some ways. It will continue to be the millstone around my neck in other ways. Fandom's complex. Life is complex, you know? The question for the program is just, what next? It's that thing of belief. What next? What next? What next? And with Frost, just really, I mean, it's it's pretty evident he's on his way out. Oh, man, that question is really hard. I'm going to finish with Bill Conley. Nebraska still has plenty of talent. That was made evident by how well it competed against good teams last year. But the weight of history has intimidated athletic directors into making scared and reactionary hires, and it engulfs the players and coaches attempting to turn things around. When the Huskers tried to make a clean break from their history with the Callahan hire, it didn't work. When they tried to work back toward their history, it didn't work either. After so many swerves through the years, there's no one around to say, this is how Nebraska wins football games and build around that vision. When you cannot escape the past, it's impossible to effectively plan for the future. It's pretty easy to describe how Nebraska got here. But if your former star quarterback, with his nearly perfectly crafted resume, can't get all the arrows pointed in the right direction and win big, it's hard to know which direction to turn next. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by my friend Weston Tanner. You have not signed up for my newsletter. Go and do so. It's easy. It's at chrisrawl.com. You hit the subscribe button. You will get an email every Wednesday that talks about sports and belief and hope and Nebraska being shitty and all the other things that I talk about on this show. So thank you for listening today. Uh, Next episode, I'm going to be fired up because we will be one day away from the true week one opening of college football season, which, by being honest, is my favorite day of the entire year. So until then, thanks again for listening and enjoy your week. Hold up. 